0: Today we are going to read the Gospel of Mark chapter 14 and that is in the Bible our church bibles page 827 and that is chapter 14 starts in starting in verse 32 through verse 52 They went to a place called Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes the betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judah said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man, wearing nothing but a linen garment, was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. This is the word of God.
1: Thanks, Harold. If you can keep your Bibles open to Mark chapter 14 as we go through it, that would be great. Um, but let's pray that God will speak to us. Lord, we thank you that you are God who loves to speak, and the God who speaks to us. And Lord, we pray as we come to this holy week, you'll speak to us, you'll speak to our minds, and you'll speak to our hearts that our lives might be changed, that we might live to praise you all of our days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know how you think of Jesus, but I've often th- thought of Jesus as superhuman, right? He's some—I mean, he's different uh, from us. He fasted for 40 days in the desert for 40 days, but he didn't seem to be phased by his hunger or thirst. He was tempted by Satan there, but could i could you lower the volume a little i feel like i'm way too loud (laughs) um he was tempted by satan but he was unfazed he wasn't tempted at all people of his hometown rejected him and when they tried to kill him he calmly walks in the midst of them when a storm comes over a boat his disciples are panicking but you find him sleeping inside of a boat in the middle of a storm he never seemed to be afraid of those who threatened to kill him all the time authorities were threatened threatened by him but he told his disciples not to be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and uh, destroy both soul and body in hell and many followers of jesus Took Jesus' advice and died courageously. You might know of Bishop Polycarp, Bishop of Smyrna in the second century. He was martyred. He was threatened by the magistrates, and they said, I can have you burned. Polycarp responded, The fire you speak of lasts but an hour and is quenched with a little. But what do you know of the fire of judgment? So come, why delay? Do what you, may, what you will. Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer. You can see where they were burnt in in Oxford. They were burnt at the stake in 1555. Latimer turned to his friend Ridley, his good friend Ridley, as he's about to be burnt, be of good cheer, Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day, by God's grace, light up such a candle in England as I trust will never be put out And just a few days before this scene in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus entered Jerusalem as a triumphant king, king who came humbly on a donkey, but people cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the one uh, uh, who's come to save us, who's come in the name of the Lord. But then a few days later, in this Garden of Gethsemane, in this uh, olive-pressed a place. He's unlike his followers who died courageously. He's unlike what he had been all of his life. We see him in agony. After the Passover dinner, most of his disciples went to sleep, but he takes three of his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he, he brings them with him suit too, so that they could pray together. He doesn't want to be alone. He's deeply distressed and troubled, verse 33. He sounds all too human in verse 34. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Gethsemane means olive press. And it seems like he's a man who's pressed right now. He's being crushed right now. And Luke records his sweat turning into blood. And he prays like he's never done before. He cries out to his father, verse 36, Abba, Father. Right, Abba, which means Daddy. Everything is possible for you, but take take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but your will. It's true that he came to Jerusalem to die this death. But now that the time is imminent, Jesus prays, if there is any other way, let that be why is this why is uh, why is it that jesus is facing his death it seems to us perhaps less bravely than his followers there's no evidence that he lacked courage that he was an emotionally fragile person he faced all these other things with such bravery The only reason it has to be is that he's about to suffer something that no one else in the history of the world has suffered and will suffer. He's about to drink the cup. What is this cup that he wants to pass? Well, that image of the cup comes from the Old Testament. It often describes cup of God's wrath. God's wrath, the cup of God's judgment. Ezekiel chapter 23, 32 to 33, for example, describes, uh, records a cup of, a cup large and deep. It will bring scorn and derision, for it holds so much. You will be filled with drunkenness and sorrow. The cup of ruin and desolation. Isaiah 51:17, the cup, the goblet of my wrath. God says. Prophet Nahum describes God's wrath in this way: Who can stand before his indignation? Who can abide the fierceness of his anger or his fury? His wrath. Is poured out like fire and the rocks are shattered before him. Jesus isn't afraid of those who will crucify him. He's not even afraid of death itself, but he is afraid of his Father's wrath. The righteous anger against humanity's sins, which will now find its laser focus on him. He will drink this cup. He will face the sin's penalty of hell for us. And he will be tortured physically, and you'll hear of it. Socially and psychologically, he was whipped up to the point of exhaustion, put uh, on the, uh, the, the crown of thorns, nailed and pierced. He was betrayed and rejected by his friends. He'll be interrogated and spat on and derided. Then he will suffer the thing that none of us, hopefully, here will suffer. God, whom he called Abba, Daddy. On the cross, he says, My God, my God. And he'll be rejected by God himself. Why have you forsaken me? He'll be separated from God, with whom he has eternally been at one. This is how Scottish pastor Robert McShane put it. He was without any comforts of God, no feeling that God loved him. God was his son before. Now the sun became darkness. He was without God. He was as if he had no God. All that God had been to him before was taken from him. Now he had the feeling of being utterly condemned. As when the judge says, depart from me, ye cursed, from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. He felt that God said the same to him. Ah, That is the hell that Christ suffered. I don't know what kind of thing that you are going through as we enter the Holy Week. Whatever it is, friends, Jesus knows what you are going through. Jesus knows the pain of death. Jesus knows what it means to suffer physically, what it means to suffer in body. He knows what it means to be rejected. He knows what it means to be lonely. He knows what it means to be separated from God. He knows you. He knows your pain. That's the the Messiah that we have. That's the high priest who pleads for us before God, one who knows you and what you are going through today. And most importantly, because we know that Jesus went to the cross after all of this, we know that he will always love us. We can't wear out God's love for us. We can't wear out His love for us. No matter how you, sinful you feel today, no matter what you have done, God will not abandon you. God wants to know. God wants you to know that He loves you, no matter what you have done. God, who went to the cross, went to hell for us, will not abandon you now. Nothing can separate us from his love and think of his love think of what he has done for whom he has done this for his loyal followers no not really for weak and wicked humanity right we have seen his disciples disappoint him again and again and we see him disappointing um, we see them disappointing jesus again in the garden of gethsemane he took peter james and john the inner circle inner of the inner circle And asked them to stay awake for three hours to watch the hour with him. But three times he finds them asleep. All three at one point said that they would never leave Jesus. Back in chapter 10, James and John, remember their argument. They want to sit next to Jesus to the right and left hand. And God, Jesus says, You can't drink the cup. You can't be baptized with the cup that I'll be baptized with. They swore they could but they can't stay awake, even for an hour. Jesus here singles out Peter, the leader of the pack, in verse 37. Simon, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Of course, before this, Jesus predicted Peter's denial. And before the cock crows twice, Peter will have denied Jesus three times. Then Judas came, whom Jesus called betrayer. And he has the gumption to kiss jesus as he betrays him but it's not just there it's every single one of the disciples who abandoned him in verse 50 when he's arrested everybody deserted and fled i wonder who you think you are in this story judas peter james john one of the disciples that ran away most of us wouldn't see ourselves as judas but i think it's worth asking It's worth asking. Judas followed Jesus for three years. Imagine that. Three years, he called himself Jesus' disciple. He served and traveled with him. He was there at the Last Supper. Jesus washed his feet. But all that time, Judas was serving himself. He used to steal money, John tells us, from Jesus. Jesus. It's possible to come to church. It's possible to come to be baptized. It's possible to eat the communion meal together. Serve, but still serve ourselves. We could do all of this and use God for our end and not serve God himself. And if we're not Judas, even if we're not Judas, Mark wants us to be there. Mark places us in this story, in this garden, look what happens in verses 51 and 52. We see this cryptic image. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. And when they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. This man would rather be found naked with shame than be with Jesus, be caught with Jesus. Uh, Bishop N.T. ride. Tom Wright thinks that this n- naked man is there to place us, to take us from the Garden of Gethsemane to another garden, Garden of Eden. There we find the humanity, Adam and Eve, naked, but in their shame, they hide from God. they run away from God. And Bishop Wright wants to see ourselves in that nakedness, that we are part of that humanity who's naked before God, who's ashamed and who's guilty but runs away. So Jesus goes to the cross for his disciples who can't stay awake. He goes to the cross for those who betray him. He goes to the cross for all of us who need to be covered. And Jesus wasn't caught. And this detail is very important, and Mark wants you to know that. Take a look at verse 41 and on. The hour has come look the son of man is delivered into the hands of the sinners rise let us go here comes my betrayer and just as he was speaking judas judas one of the twelve appeared and kissed him did you notice how judas i mean jesus gets up to greet judas right the hour has come he gets up he's not running away from the law he was there waiting for judas He didn't have to come to Jerusalem. He didn't have to come to stay there in the Garden of Gethsemane. He could have summoned the angels and archangels and brought God's righteous wrath upon those who are uh, arresting him. But he doesn't. He meets Judas, the throng of men who've come with sword and clubs, and he goes to the cross willingly. And they, of course, expected a fight. I mean, if you think about why Judas actually has to go and kiss Jesus. Well, it's because he expected a fight, right? Every revolution, everything that happened, uh, people in power, well, they go down with the fight. And so Judas Judas, uh, concocted this plan to betray Jesus with a kiss. And Peter wants a fight. He takes out his sword and strikes the servant of the high priest in verse 47. But Jesus didn't. He says, am I leading a rebellion? And when Jesus entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, people were looking for a Messiah who would deliver them from the oppression. Israel, God's son, God's firstborn, has been humiliated right by Assyria, Babylon, Greece, and now Rome. And last time God delivered his people was with with pestilence and sword with the outstretched arms of Moses with the plagues and death that killed every one of uh, everyone, uh, every firstborn in the in in Egypt and Jesus is a greater Moses he's the greater Joshua he's greater David but that night the son of god who commands the army of heaven who holds the universe together, indeed, the one who holds the people, who's arresting them together, went to his death, willingly, wearing the crown of thorns. Why? Because that's the only way that God's kingdom was going to come. We read again and again about God's kingdom in the Old Testament. We read again and again about how they failed Jesus is the king who would come to bring God's kingdom here on earth. So he went his death because there is no other way. Remember, Jesus prayed, Father, if there is any other way, take this cup away from me. The fact that he goes to the cross means that there is no other way. Jesus has to go to the cross. So he went his death. He became the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He became the object of God's righteous anger, righteous wrath, so that we might be reconciled to Him, that He might make a way for us to be His children so that He could breathe His Holy Spirit in us, that we might be emboldened and empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit to live lives differently, transformed by His love. So He went to His death so that he might bring God's kingdom here on earth. And it's changed the world. Partly because it changed death, the character of death. Paul, uh, Bishop Polycarp, um, Latimer, Ridley, Brantford, and countless others went to their deaths courageously because death has now lost its sting. We hear it from those who have faced death here in this church, whether it's cancer or uh, something else. There is no fear. Sure, it hurts. Sure, it stings. But in comparison to what Jesus went through, it's mosquito bite. It's, it's It's entering into a whole new world to be with God. But also, Jesus transformed our lives as well by dying for us on the cross, wearing the crown of thorns. He's become our king and our example. He showed us what it means to live as his people here on earth and breathed his Holy Spirit in us that we might follow him. He brought heaven down by taking the form of a servant, forgiving his enemies. Instead of using might and sword, he changed the world by giving up his power. He gave up his wealth. He gave up his reputation, his life. He showed us that the kingdom of God is brought down to earth by this revolution, by following this king who wears the crown of thorns. Uh, This past week, we saw the news of the nine who led the Umbrella Revolution, all uh, convicted. Leading up to this Palm Sunday, I thought about what what would Jesus say about this? What what would Jesus say about uh, Umbrella Movement or the revolutions that are happening around the world? And I think in some ways, Jesus would uh, anger uh, or disappoint both sides. Because China will not find the church bowing down to it as the final authority. It will not. Christians do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill our souls. We do not bow to money or power. Nations will always, nations everywhere, will always find a group of people whose final authority is this king, this messiah who wears a crown of thorns. But at the same time, Christianity reminds us that the true change, real revolution that will change the world isn't actually done in, uh, with, through CE, through uh, the, uh, the, 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 the chief executive in Hong Kong or in Washington or in London. True revolution happens in the church where God's kingdom is. God's kingdom will not come when we have truly a democratic process or free press or free judges. Kingdom of God comes as the church who are reconciled to God and transformed by His power, by by Christ's love. When we go out emboldened and empowered by the Spirit to bear witness to its head and follow the path of this king, the path of sacrifice, service and love on the palm sunday 2000 years ago jesus entered jerusalem as our king and he started this revolution by bringing heaven down to earth that's the real revolution that we should be devoting ourselves to so friends i hope as you go out you will follow this king and none other In this world where retaliation is the norm, I hope you'll go and forgive. Where wielding power is the norm, I hope you'll go out and serve. In a city where money is the king, we will be generous and give away our money. When violence is expected, turn the other cheek. And love. When we are transformed, the world will be transformed. The revolution has started, and he started it 2,000 years ago. And for those of you who don't yet know Jesus as your king, I want to say he died for you as well. He loves you. Do you know love like this? Because you're made for love like this. Give your life to this king who has given everything for you. Let's pray. Lord, with the crowd 2,000 years ago, we cry, Hosanna, save us. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus, as our Messiah. Lord, help us to see him, Jesus, and none other as our king, as the king who died for us, who's reconciled us to you, who's breathed his spirit to us, that we might live his risen life now. And help us to bear witness to this king. Help us not to bow down to power, to money, or status, or whatever it is that the world worships. Help us to bow to this king and this king only. And may the world around us see that we have a different king that transforms the world by by the way that you have transformed our lives. May we bear witness to this king. In Jesus' name, amen.